Welcome to the Parlay Podcast, a thought-provoking and entertaining podcast that breaks down the pathology of speech, language, and other processes that affect the way we communicate on a daily basis. Professor of Speech and Language Pathology, Chantal Mayer-Crittenden, hosts a bevy of guests who help her explore and explain the diverse landscape of speech, language, and their relationship with the brain. I am pleased to be here with Dr. Nafisa Jalal. She is the founder of N. Jalal Global Consulting, a boutique firm which specializes in supporting organizations on matters of diversity, equity, inclusion, and anti-racism. She brings 14 years of experience and a deep passion for DEI. Her firm supports a wide client base from public, private, nonprofit, and academic sectors in Canada and globally. She holds an Honours BA in International Development and Political Science from the University of Toronto, a Master's in Capacity Building from the University of Guelph, and a PhD in Public Health from the University of the Western Cape in South Africa. Health-related organizations continue to be an important part of her firm's portfolio, with current clients including two of the largest community hospitals in Canada. She is a certified facilitator and personally delivers all workshops on behalf of her firm. She is also a lecturer with Seneca College in Toronto in the Third School of Health Sciences. So she joins us today in her capacity as a DEI professional. So hello, Nafisa. Hi, Chantel. Great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you so much uh, for, for accepting this invitation. So I initially met Nafisa through one of her workshops, and I've had the pleasure of hearing her speak more than once. And I just really wanted the listeners of this podcast to have the opportunity to hear her thoughts and her expertise on DEI if they haven't already done so. Because I know that a lot of speech and language pathologists, they have heard you speak um, because our college had organized something. So we have about uh, half an hour together today. So we'll jump right in. Uh, I mean, how does one become interested in this line of work? Well, Chantel, that is a good question. And for some people, I think they, they plan on getting into it. For myself, it, it just happens. So my, uh, as you know, my first hat, the first hat that I wear in, uh, in life is a public health one. So my PhD is in public health. And really, my entry into DEI stemmed from that sector. I was working with hospitals on medical research and programs, and I recognized the amount of racism that exists in our healthcare system towards our patients, towards our colleagues, towards our professionals. And that really got me thinking that if we as healthcare professionals working with vulnerable people have this incredible amount of racism within our fabric, what must it look like for other organizations across the board? And so really that's where I, I began in hospital work. And now, as you know, I have clients from all sectors, uh, well outside of the healthcare realm as well. So my entry, I think, really began from recognizing an issue that myself and so many people were facing and then moving outward to say, what can I do to support? How can I understand this better? And what kind of change do we need to bring? Yes, and I think um, more and more organizations are setting up committees to address this question, but it definitely is an area that requires a lot more education, training, uh, awareness. And so thank you very much for all the work that you do. I think that um, we are on the right path, but we still have a long way to go. All right, so um, let's talk 
broadly about diversity, equity, and inclusion as it pertains to communication and social interactions, because this is kind of the broad topic of this podcast. So, you know, speech and language pathologists and other healthcare workers, like you mentioned, we often impose our colonial ways. Um, as speech and language pathologists, we provide accent modification therapy. And I know that this has been kind of a, a debate because are we imposing our colonial ways by suggesting that their accent should be modified? Um, and there's also sometimes with uh, different, whether it be uh, children or adults who might be on the autism spectrum, um, you know, will we'll impose that they have better eye contact with us. Or there's different cultures that don't necessarily um, prioritize eye contact. But, you know, that's something that we've been trained to suggest and to work on. So what are your thoughts on this? This is great, Chantelle, that, you, that you've brought up this topic, and especially the examples that you provided uh, with, with the accent modification therapy that, that uh, SLPs provide, as well as the eye contact and so many other traits that we have. So my thoughts are this. First and foremost, as healthcare professionals, working with vulnerable populations, yes, but even if we weren't working with vulnerable populations, I think it's just as important that we recognize that we have a responsibility to provide our services whatever they may be in the whole spectrum of healthcare, in an inclusive and equitable way. And so what does that mean for every one of us? We have to ask ourselves, are our programs and policies actually acknowledging? Are they respecting? Are they encouraging? Are they celebrating the diversity of the people that we serve? As we know, we're sitting here in Ontario, Canada today, and Canada prides itself in its multiculturalism. We are so proud of the fact that we welcome people from all over the world uh, to make up the fabric of our country. And so with that comes a responsibility for us to say, how do we treat the people who come from all over the world? And many of them, of course, are our patients. And so we really have to think on what services are we providing and asking ourselves, why are we providing them? Are they inclusive of everyone's unique traits? Are we providing them because there's a medical need? Because as healthcare professionals, that is our primary mandate that we provide a service because there is a medical need. Or like you also mentioned, are we providing some of our services uh, through a colonial lens still? And are we providing them because in the Western world here in North America, especially, that we somehow underlyingly, even if we don't articulate this in words, wish to assimilate people to all sound the same. That we might say that we appreciate diversity in all of its different forms, but it, that's not always how it translates into looking when we offer certain services. So I think with, with a service such as the accent modification therapy, really we have to ask ourselves the why. Who mm -hmm. is asking for this service? Um, is, it, is it our patients themselves? Is it somebody, is it, is it their employer? Is it somebody else in the equation? How do they feel about it? And once again, going back to what I said about the medical need, is there a medical need or is it a cultural social aspect? Is it us um, saying that we would like everyone to be proud of their differences and on the other token, trying to make people um, sound the same and and that aspect of it is, it is really, really important. So uh, again, also with your example on the eye contact, great example, and I think it's not just SLPs, it's healthcare professionals across the board that, that will oftentimes impose this. We have a, a practice of looking at people in the eye. 
And we do this in our business communication and in our interactions with people on a social scale, where we think that we have people's attention uh, only when they're looking at us in the eye. And we really have to reevaluate what that means. Many cultures, as you know, Chantel, don't do this. They don't do this because there's a power dynamic, uh, whether you, if you're a healthcare professional and they're a patient and they don't feel comfortable doing that. They don't do this in, in instances of gender differences when certain genders don't want to look other people, other genders in the eye. It's not something that's comfortable for them. It's not something that they're accustomed to. So we have to ask ourselves once again, is it medically necessary for our patients to be looking at us in the eye or perhaps even our colleagues from other cultures looking us in the eye? Um, do we not provide our services otherwise? Does it impact the services we provide? Do we feel like they're not listening or that we don't have their full attention? So all of these services that we provide, uh, and I'm gonna expand it to not just services, but to say the policies and programs that we have in our respective fields, you're in one aspect of healthcare, I'm in another aspect of healthcare, but the importance of looking at this through a DEI lens mm -hmm. and to just define uh, the acronym for our listeners, diversity, equity, inclusion is what DEI stands for. Looking at our work, looking at our policies and our programs and our interactions with people through that lens to say we have diversity, but what does that mean? Are we really inclusive? of people who are diverse from all different aspects of life. And if as healthcare professionals, we appreciate that we have to be inclusive of our services, what are we doing to make sure that we actually practice what we preach? Mm -hmm. And I wonder, I often ask myself this question, is it always appropriate to ask our clients or patients? I mean, in your culture, is eye contact something that is valued? I mean, is it, or sometimes I think we, we fear that we will perhaps offend them if we ask. So what is your take on that? Should we ask out front? Is this okay in your culture? I think, Chantel, some things, if you find the culture is appropriate, um, you can ask. Other things don't need asking. If you feel like you're sitting in a room with a patient who you're speaking to and who's speaking back at you um, and is, is not looking you in the eye, then it's okay for you to assume that they're not comfortable with that. Because mm -hmm. if they were comfortable, then they would be looking you in the eye. And so sometimes I feel like um, the opportunity may be right to ask a question if genuinely you are confused and not sure how to navigate the situation. So then we can think of respectful ways of phrasing ourselves and asking. And in other instances, uh, because you and I and all of our uh, colleagues in healthcare work with people on a daily basis, we understand that mannerisms speak loudly. We understand that people's actions speak louder than their specific words. So in many instances, we don't really need to ask. It's not necessary for us to ask in order to be able to provide our services to the best. If they're looking at us, they are. And if they aren't, then, then they aren't. Our job is to make sure that they're comfortable. Our mm -hmm. job is to make sure that they feel respected in whatever uh, way they bring themselves to us. Yeah, that's a good point. And I said this in a previous episode. I mean, the focus of this podcast is on communication. And so really, at the end of the day, how is your communication with this person? Or how is this person's communication, whether they have an accent or not, are they able to communicate whatever it is that they intend to communicate? And um, I know that I recently interviewed um, two gentlemen from noisy classrooming, and they're really putting a focus on oral C in um, young children from Nigeria. 
And they were saying that the culture there is that they really want to eliminate the Nigerian accent and adopt an American or even British English accent. And they're trying to get away from that because they're saying what we really want to do here is improve their communication skills, not how they sound, but how effective they are as communicators. So, yeah, it's I like how you, you emphasize, you know, we are a diverse country, but is that I? Are we inclusive? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And I have actually listened to that episode of yours. It was a really interesting one um, because Nigeria speaks loudly to me. And I don't know if we've ever shared this uh, together, but I grew up all over Africa. And so living in these different countries was very interesting for me because I went to an American school where they taught us to speak in a certain way. But a lot of my friends were from, from uh, different African backgrounds themselves. And we communicated beautifully, although each one of us had a very different accent. So I love that you put focus on that. And I love that they in that episode did. And I hope that all of us uh, universally can focus on the fact that it's about communication. It's not about your accent or mine. It's not about having a hierarchy of accents, which we know Chantel is oftentimes the case, where certain accents are given a lot of prestige mm -hmm. and looked upon very highly, while other accents are surrounded by a lot of prejudice and stereotype. Um, mm -hmm. And so really, why do we do that? Because at the end of the day, like you say, it's about communication. It's about me understanding you and you understanding me. And... Also, I think it's important that for those of us who think of accents in a negative way, that we frame our minds to think the very opposite, because if someone has an accent, they probably speak some languages that you don't. And so, again, they're coming in with levels of ability that perhaps you and I may not have sometimes. Mm -hmm. So the fact that people have accents is actually brilliant. And it means that they're bringing in experiences and have skill sets that we can learn from that we can um, be able to incorporate into our spaces as well. So it's important a, to rethink why there is this level of prejudice towards accents. Mm -hmm. And it's even more important, like you say, the overarching um, the message of this, of this conversation, I think, is that we want to be effective communicators. We want to make sure that we respectfully and effectively communicate with all of our patients, with all of our colleagues, with, with everyone that we interact with. And so it's really important that we take out the stereotypes and prejudices from different accents. And I, I this, this example that you say from Nigeria, across the world, we face this, yeah. where a lot of people in their local context are going to want to speak with a Western accent, with a North American accent, rather than just learning to speak the language with the vocabulary and grammar that, that's associated with it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Now, the notion of unconscious bias is one that you speak about in your workshops. And I must admit, this really hit home for me. Um, can you tell us what it is, why it's important for us healthcare workers to understand? Absolutely, Chantel. It's such an important concept to understand. And I try and include it in every single one of my workshops because it's one that even well-intentioned people don't always understand until we break it down. So in order to understand unconscious bias, let me first touch on bias itself. The notion of bias, the notion that we feel a certain way about certain people for whatever our reasons might be, is, is very common to hopefully all of us. 
And if we're going to think about it from a medical standpoint for a second, researchers have said for many, many years that everyone has bias, that cognitively we are built in a way where we feel a certain way about certain people, where there are certain people that we feel very positively about and other people that we feel negatively about, other people that trigger us in, in a certain way that's not comfortable for us. So that basic concept of bias, of feeling negatively towards someone for some aspect of their diversity. And to take a step back, oftentimes when we're thinking about diversity, so often people will tell me the first word that comes to their mind when it comes to diversity is race. And so I would love for all of our listeners today to really expand their definition of diversity, to understand that it recognizes all differences among people, not just race, not just color, not just the color of your skin or the accent of your tone, but really understanding that diversity is across the board. So understanding that so many people are biased towards different people for so many different reasons. It's not always just race or culture or the way that they speak. It's so many different attributes. So when it comes to bias, what is important for us as healthcare workers is to understand first and foremost, to recognize rather, and then understand first and foremost, what our biases are. So what are my biases as, as an individual, Chantel, what are yours? And once you've identified what they are, once you've sat yourself down and said, this is how I feel about these groups of people or this individual, what you can do next is think about what are you going to do about it? Because mm -hmm. I know and everyone knows that we can't operate as healthcare professionals or as professionals of any field really with bias. So the first thing then we have to do is put our bias on the table and say, okay, well, even if I don't wake up tomorrow morning feeling positively about that person or that group of people, what's important for me in my professional role is that I put that bias outside the door every day that I come into work so that I don't allow myself to act on that bias, that I don't allow myself to take a decision or negatively impact this individual's life or, or this group of individuals because of my bias. So really important for us to understand with two things. One, that we have to identify what each of our individual biases are for ourselves. And two, then we are in a place to put it on the table and say, what are we going to do about it? How are we going to make sure this bias doesn't impact my service delivery, my patients and their outcomes and so forth. So understanding bias helps us then understand unconscious bias. Mm -hmm. And unconscious bias, um, as, as the word suggests, is bias that we're not conscious of. So there are many things that we may feel that we've never really recognized for ourselves. That we go ahead and we go through life and we speak to certain people in a certain way or we make action decisions in a certain way or we have certain actions associated to certain people that we've never really sat down and told ourselves that we're doing. So with unconscious bias, I really want all of our listeners to take a step back and notice what triggers something negative in them. As you're sitting down, as you're going through life, as you're walking, what are certain people and certain traits um, feeling like for you? So as you look at a certain individual, do you feel something negative? Does something trigger in you? And it's those triggers that oftentimes help us explore what our unconscious biases are because we don't know them automatically like we would with our, with our normal biases. So with unconscious, we have to dig one step deeper to say, am I feeling something towards this person? And if I am, why am I feeling this way? 
And if I can identify the why, is it because media has told me something negative about them? Is it because I've had negative experiences with them? Is it because other patients or colleagues have said something negative? And all of these things together have combined my, my feeling uh, for, for this individual. So with the unconscious bias, it's, uh, it's oftentimes scarier than the than normal bias because we don't know we're doing this. Mm-hmm. And so we have to really dig inside ourselves. And in our workplace, we can ask other people to support us with that as well, to say, if you find that I'm reacting a certain way to certain people, will you please bring that to my attention so that it helps me dig deeper into what are my unconscious biases, right? All of us know as individuals, whether we're healthcare workers or not, that we are biased, that we are. We have our preferences, we have our feelings. So now it's not a matter of how do we overnight make sure we don't have any bias because that's not going to happen. What we have to do is start recognizing them among ourselves, in ourselves, in our spaces, and then take one at a time and say, how am I going to make sure this bias does not impact my service delivery? This bias of mine doesn't hurt my patients from that background. Um, And an interesting fact um, that your listeners might be interested in, the human body transmits 11 million bits of information at any given time. So as you and I are speaking right now, as I'm speaking, there's 11 million bits of information that I'm sharing with you and anyone listening to our podcast. However, our conscious mind is only able to process 50 bits of information per second. So here we've got 11 million coming at you right now, Chantel, from me. And there's only 50 bits of that that you are processing in this moment. So what that means is that our brains need to take some shortcuts. If Mm -hmm. I ask a question now and you answer right now, now, you're answering with the 50 bits of information that you process, not the whole 11 million bit that I've given you at once. So what we store in our brains is so important. And if we're storing things that are neutral, then perhaps your response to a question that I ask you will be fairly neutral. If you've got things stored in your brain that are stereotyped or prejudiced or racist, um, then that's the response that's going to come out Mm -hmm. when, uh, when I ask you something. So what we store in our brains is very important and how we think about things is very important. And I'm not saying that we have to think positively about every single person that we come across, but I'm saying that at least in the minimal, we have to have neutral opinions about people that we don't know anything about. And so this is something that we can do for ourselves as we process information. And hopefully then the amount of biases that we have are limited. And uh, consequently, the amount of unconscious biases that we have will hopefully be be uh, limited as well. Mm-hmm. I love that. And it's kind of like you don't know what you don't know, but it is our duty as healthcare professionals to find out what we don't know <laughs> and, exactly. to, and, you know, inform ourselves and do better. Um, this reminds me of this organization that I just discovered, and I, I think it's been around for about 20 years. It's the Human Library Organization, where you a human is essentially like a book. And instead of having these preconceived opinions of a person, you can just borrow the person and chat with them. And so this started in Denmark, and now they have it in 80 countries all over the world. And I think it's fascinating, because instead of, you know, assuming certain 
uh, stereotypes, you can just ask them, ask the person. And of course, it's just that one individual's experience. But still, I think it's it's a nice step forward to eliminating these um, biases. Um, so yeah, you know, if the listeners are I interested, yeah, human library organization. So I don't know if I there's one in Canada, but it is, it is all over 80 countries. That is really, really interesting. And I think it's, it's so important. Mm-hmm. That just as with other types of research, we will open a book or we'll go dig deep into learning with people. How come so often we don't do this? Our mm-hmm. common feature is that we'll look at someone and we'll make up a whole story about them without having had one conversation with them. Right. So I absolutely love that. And I love that it's, it's, a, it's a global effort. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I want to find out if they have one in Canada. I haven't found any evidence of that yet, but uh, hey, who knows? Maybe we'll st- st- strike, strike one up. <laughs> I was say, we need to start one if there isn't, because I think there'd be a lot of people who would really appreciate it. And I think Canada is such an ideal country for it, because mm-hmm. like I said, we have people from all over the world. And yeah. so just imagine the incredible amount of what we would learn from borrowing different people on different days and learning about their stories and their lives and how they think about the world and yeah. how much it would add to each one of us. And just normalizing that too, right? Exactly. Normalizing differences. Mm-hmm. So often we'll think of someone else and think that because they're different, then somehow there's an element of uncertainty and fear and uncomfortableness. How do we just normalize celebrating differences and learning from people as if it were an everyday thing? Because it needs to be an everyday thing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm conscious of time. My goodness, it went by so fast. So, you know, with a few minutes left, what advice would you give professionals surrounding this topic? Maybe, you know, your take home message. Absolutely. So, so many messages that I want to leave our listeners with, but let me try and narrow it down to a few that I think are really important. Uh, The first one, Chantel, goes hand in hand with what you just said about the human library, and that is educating ourselves. I think there is nothing more important than every single one of us, regardless of what field we're in, regardless of how knowledgeable we think we are on certain topics, that we understand that education is extremely important and that it be an ongoing process. When it comes to issues of, or even the topic rather, not even issues, but just the general topic of diversity and equity and inclusion, uh, really understanding that there is no limit where you stop learning. You constantly have to learn about, for example, the equity piece. Equity means fairness. Are we being fair in how we're treating other people? Are we being fair in our policies and our programs and so forth? So educating ourselves on how we can do that better is so important. Inclusiveness, the I and DEI. Are we inclusive? Is everyone at the table? Are some people at the table who is not at our table? Do we need to build another table? So really thinking about that and once again, going back to education, how can we do it better? organizations across the board are really trying to strive for an inclusive atmosphere where everyone feels like they belong. And we as healthcare professionals have to do this on an everyday as we deal with our patients, we have to make sure they're comfortable, that they belong, that they feel like they're included, either it be in the process of their treatment or included overall just just for mental health in their societies. So education, I think, is fundamentally important and really recognizing that you have a responsibility to educate yourself. So you should not and cannot always just go to that one person in the room 
who you feel is of a certain background and ask them questions only for your full education. You need to make sure that you do that work yourself because mm-hmm. it's not their responsibility to educate you. It's our responsibility to educate ourselves. So I think first and foremost, um, learning about the people that we serve and in Canada and Ontario, uh, all over the country, really the diversity of people we serve is going to keep us learning for a long time. Education doesn't end. Uh, And also who we work with our colleagues, understanding them and educating ourselves so we can work better with them and across sectors and so forth. Uh, The next thing that I think I would really like our listeners to, to do, if they may, is defining for themselves what racism means. And each one of us will have a slightly different definition of racism, perhaps based on who we are and what our experiences have been and what our levels of power and privilege are. And so for many of us, racism means what happened to George Floyd and murders of that sort. And today I want us to, um, I want to propose the idea that that is, of course, clear and blatant racism, but that is not the only form of racism. Racism doesn't have to be as extreme as you and I picking up a gun and killing someone. Racism is seen in everyday actions. Racism is seen in how we treat our patients and our colleagues every day. Um, racism is seen in the microaggressions that we, that we put towards other people. Uh, Racism doesn't have to be me picking up a gun and hurting you. Racism can be how I look at you. Racism can be how I speak to you or or the fact that I don't speak to you. Mm -hmm. Racism can be that you are included at my table or that the door is very closed. So there are many forms of racism and it will look slightly different, of course, from person to person. And it will look slightly different from atmosphere to atmosphere and circumstance to circumstance. But what does it look like for you? And once you've defined for yourself thoroughly and hopefully as broadly as you can what racism means to you, you can then allow yourself to say, how am I going to do my work better? Understanding what kind of racism exists in my situation and making sure that I'm cognizant of that and that I don't do that anymore and that I don't think those thoughts perhaps or act in those ways or create those barriers for other people of different backgrounds. And I think it's just, it's really, really important that we look at our professional responsibilities, our personal as well, but if we're going to talk about professional uh, today through a DEI lens, a lens of diversity, equity, inclusion, a lens that means that we recognize the diversities that people bring and that we recognize that equity is so essential not equality where everybody gets the same thing, but equity where everybody gets what they need. And we need to do this with every one of our patients and in every one of our scenarios. Um, And even if you're outside of the healthcare sector for whoever your clients, your customers are, making sure that you, you meet and hopefully surpass the needs of every individual person. And of course the I in, in DEI, the inclusiveness, we can't and we should not ever get away from. Mm-hmm. The fact that we have to really work at making sure everybody feels included, that everyone is authentically represented, that everyone's voices matter. And these are things, Chantal, as you and I know, that don't just automatically happen. They have to be worked on. They ha- there have to be policies and programs and trainings and conversations and constantly evaluating ourselves and monitoring our progress and seeing how we can do things better. Mm-hmm. Uh, the final message that I really want to leave with with all of our listeners, if I may, is that I encourage all of you um, to speak up. And I was—I I say encourage, but I really—I 
almost demanded of all of us because I demanded of myself and, and, and all those that represent uh, my industry that we must speak up when we see injustices in our profession. We must speak up when we see injustices in our world and we must bring attention to issues so mm -hmm. that we fix them. So often I find Chantel that even the best of us with the best of intentions don't speak up on many issues. And so I ask us today to take a second to recognize what our power and privileges are. And that's a very important topic that I hope Chantel we get a chance to discuss another day, uh, looking at our power and privileges. And a lot of us are in places of power with uh, copious amounts of privilege that allow us to speak up where we have platforms, whatever our platforms look like, whether they be verbal or they be in action or they be on social media or they be off social media, we have areas of influence. And so I ask every one of us for the sake of your patients, for the sake of your colleagues, for the sake of our society, for the sake of all of us who share a community and a province and a country, that when you see something that is not right, when you see a racist uh, remark being made or an action, when you see a group of people or even an individual who is not included, when you see someone's diversity being challenged or not respected, uh, that we make an effort, that we make an effort and that we do what we can. And sometimes people don't recognize how, um, how essential and how important and how impactful the act of speaking up is. Mm -hmm. So I leave our listeners with that very important message to say that None of us can do everything on our, on our own by ourselves, but together we can make a difference. And mm -hmm. together, if every one of us are speaking up where we see things that are not right, then collectively we will be speaking up and changes will be made. And hopefully we will achieve a world where racism is not the common verbiage of so many people every day across our country and definitely not in our healthcare sector, but not in not in any sector that exists. Yeah, I agree. I mean, sometimes as bystanders, we are contributing to racism or to the lack of inclusion by not saying anything. So we have to speak up. It's we can no longer just stand by and, and say, well, it wasn't me, I didn't partake because by not saying anything, then we kind of become active participants in whatever it is that's, that's happening in front of us. Exactly, silence is complicity. Mm -hmm. I often tell, uh, tell people in my, in my sessions yeah. that when we are silent, we are complying with what is happening around us. And as any professional um, or as even a citizen of this country, we have that responsibility to make sure that we no longer are just standing on the sidelines. Yeah. Well, I thank you. I don't want to take up any more of your precious time, but if our listeners are curious and they want to know more about your firm, what is your website? And I will be sure to put it on the show notes of the parleypodcast.com. So maybe you can tell us now and they can go to the show notes to, to click on it. Absolutely, Chantel. Thank you so much. If, if there are any questions I can answer, if there's anything that anyone wants to explore further, absolutely. My website is www.nafisajalal.com. So that's my first name and my last name, N-A-F-E-E-S-A-J-A-L-A-L.com. And Chantel will put it on the screen. And if there is any way in which I can support anyone as individuals, as organizations, uh, I will absolutely be looking forward to doing that. 
And I mean, if you do have an opportunity to attend one of Nafisa's workshops, I strongly urge you to. It's been a pleasure. I've had the privilege of listening to, I think, probably about six or seven hours in total of different modules of workshops. And every single time I learn so much uh, and I definitely appreciate it. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for being a guest on the Carly podcast and best of luck uh, with all of your future endeavors. And uh, hopefully we will meet again. Thank you so much, Intel. Thank you. And I absolutely hope that we will keep in touch. And I'm, I'm here to support you and all of our listeners always. Thank you very much.